Our text that was read came from the Gospel according to St. Luke. It was the 14th chapter, and the reading was from the 25th to the 35th verse. And I just want to lift up verse 33. Short verse that says, So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. That's what the text says. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. That's what the text says. Is there anything that you can think of that is worth giving up everything that you have in order to achieve it? Is there anything that you can think of that is so important that it is worth anything and everything? The truth is, it is very hard to think of anything that we would give up for anything other than perhaps to live a little bit longer when you're on your deathbed. Or perhaps to prolong the life of a loved one. Not a lot of things that we would be willing to give up everything that we have for. But according to Jesus, becoming a disciple of his is so worthwhile that it requires that we give up everything that we have. These are not my words, church. These are the words of scripture. So the real obvious question becomes, of what benefit is it to us to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ? Why on earth is it so important and why does it have to cost so much? Well, to try and answer these questions, I want to talk today about discipleship in a message that I have titled, quite simply, Cost It What It Will. Cost It What It Will. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you now for this preaching hour. Thank you, Father, for the ability to open up your word and to investigate, to question, to challenge, but also to learn and especially to grow. Spirit of the living God, teach us now, for we, your children, are listening. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our world is changing right before our very eyes. The weather is becoming more extreme. Our institutions are deceptive. Inflation is out of control. Diseases seem to be popping up all over the place. And those in charge seem to have such a void of character and integrity that we wonder if we can trust anything or anyone anymore. But the truth is, the Bible has always told us that these things would happen. And guess what? It is only going to get worse. Yet, despite all that we see and the fakeness in the news media and on TikTok, the word of God and the truth 
of Jesus Christ is still the same. God stands alone, and Jesus has proven himself to be the truth and the life. And the fact is, no one can or will come to the Father except through him. If there is nothing else that we can trust in this world around us, brothers and sisters, we can trust Jesus. The first parable after Jesus lays out the conditions to be his disciple is the one where you are unable to finish building a tower. Look with me again at verse 28. Jesus says, which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and it is not able to finish, all who observe begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Everyone wants to know beforehand how things are going to get done so that they don't have to face embarrassment. And the parable makes the point that we should plan carefully for the outcomes that we desire. Whatever it is that you want in life, whatever it is that you're looking forward to in life, the likelihood that it will not happen rests on whether or not you are prepared for it. You must be prepared for whatever it is that you want out of life. The second parable that Jesus tells is for a king that is not strong enough to win a battle. Let's look again at the text, verse 31. What king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one that's coming with 20,000. It's a losing battle. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation to ask and to broker terms of peace. Brothers and sisters, everyone will get into a fight only if they know they can win. And if we know we cannot win, we then must make an attempt to make peace so that we can save face and not again be embarrassed. Jesus, after telling these two parables, then punctuates them with this idea. He then says, you cannot be my disciple unless you give up all of your possessions, which means in the context of these two parables, you must surrender everything, including, here it is, your desire for greatness through what you build through your own selfish ambition, as well as your need to win and to hold on to your own self-respect. What Jesus is saying, quite simply, is that you cannot be his disciple unless you are willing to give up the very thing that is preventing you from being his disciple. Very often the things that's preventing us from being Jesus' disciple is not so much that we don't love Jesus or we don't care about him or even that we don't revere him. It's just that we want the things we want a little bit more. I want what I want a little bit more. I want to build my ivory tower and I want people to see how wonderful I am. But Jesus is saying, if you don't plan right, 
You're going to face an embarrassment because you started to build something, wanting something, and it'll never happen. And what he's saying is, oh, by the way, not only are you trying to build something to glorify yourself, Jesus is also saying, if you're going to fight a battle, right, thinking that you can win the battle when you don't even know what they're coming with, if you knew that who you're about to fight is greater than you, then you might take the opposite approach, which is to go make peace. So here it is. We want to build our tower, parable one, but we don't have enough to build. Or we want to fight a battle that we don't even know how strong the enemy is. And Jesus is saying both of these things are going to cause you to lose everything anyway. So if you're going to lose everything anyway, Jesus is saying, listen, you can't be my disciple unless you're willing to lose everything that you're going to lose anyway. I don't know if you all heard that. If you're going to lose everything anyway... You might as well give up everything so that you can gain everything that I have to give. My goodness. This ain't even on my manuscript. My brothers and my sisters, let me be perfectly clear with you. We want what we want out of life. We want good things. We want the best things. We want to be peaceful. We want to be satisfied. We want to be comfortable. We want all of these things. And Jesus is saying, there's a way that you can get it. And the way that you can get it is to give up what you want. And then if you give up what you want, I will give you what you need. Goodness gracious. You cannot be my disciple unless you give up all of your possessions. Often, our greatest possessions that we choose not to let go of is not our house or our car, money or other material things or relationships, but instead it's our pride and even our high-mindedness. You see, Jesus is saying, unless you give up your ambitions, your aspirations, your advantage, your authority, Your benefits, your command, your control, your dignity, your dominance, your status, your self-concept, your pomposity, your privilege, your power, your prestige, your position, your possessions, and your wealth. (laughs) Not only that, let's flip it. Unless you also, because those are the good things we like. But Jesus is saying you can also give up the things you don't really like. And what are those things that bother you? Well, your pride. Your guilt, your shame, your envy, your entitlement, your anxiety, your fear, your jealousies, your greed, your apathy, your anger, your lust, your gluttony, your sloth, your immorality, your vanity, your insecurities, and your perversions. I want you to hear what I'm saying. It's not just the things that you like that you should give up. Jesus is saying also give up the things that you don't like. The things that bother you. The things that keep you awake at night. Give it, to, give it all up. Because the text is clear. I, I don't know if you want me to read the text again. He said, unless you give up everything. Very often as preachers, we always only preach in the context of the things you want. Your car. And then we look at it and we go, I don't want to give that up because we like the things we like. But Jesus didn't stutter. Jesus didn't. Jesus made it plain. Listen. When you are in emotional turmoil and pain, give it up. Give it up. 
When you are struggling with your depression and your anxieties, Jesus is saying, give me that too. Don't just give me the things you like. Give me the things you do not like. Give me everything. For unless you give me everything, you cannot be my disciple. Let me make it even further plain. You cannot be my disciple if you are harboring anger in your heart. You cannot be my disciple if you are harboring lust and gluttony, all the things. So I'm not only talking about the cars and the house, I'm talking about the other stuff. Jesus says, give me everything. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of us have become so familiar, accustomed, and comfortable with pain that we want to hold on to it. Even when someone is bringing you some relief, you'd rather stay and wallow in your guilt and your shame and your pain because it's comfortable to you. You know it so well. You can count on it being there for you. And Jesus is saying, you not only have made an idol out of your car and your home and your stuff, but you've also made an idol out of your pain. And Jesus is saying, listen, I compete with nothing and no one. And I will not compete for your heart or your affection. It's a hard word, church. But somebody need to hear it. Somebody need to know that you need to let go of that depression. You need to decide in your mind that I'm not taking this and I'm letting this go. Otherwise, I cannot be Jesus' disciple. As a church, as a church, we teach accurately that salvation is absolutely free, but at the same time, it costs you everything, including <laughs> your very life. You receive salvation freely at no expense to you because it already cost Jesus. You already paid for it, but it's going to cost you something as well. But wait, preacher, how can something be free and costly at the same time? Preacher, what you talking about? Well, let me see if I can explain with an illustration. Let's say you desire one day to climb Mount Everest. I don't know why, but let's just say one day you decide you want to climb Mount Everest. But it costs about $70,000 to do the climb. You may not know that, but it's an expensive excursion. But if you decide you want to climb Mount Everest, and it costs $70,000 for you to climb Mount Everest. And then out of nowhere, a generous person comes along and says, you know what? I heard of your passion and desire. And so I'm going to pay for you to climb Mount Everest. I'm going to pay for all of the, the, the expenses, the clothing, the training. I'm going to pay for all the stuff that you need in order to climb Mount Everest. And you are truly grateful and you're thankful. You accept this free offer, this scholarship to climb Mount Everest. But what you have just done by accepting the scholarship to go to Spelman, to go to NHBCU, to climb Mount Everest, whatever it is, what you have done now is committed yourself to doing now the work, the training, the hard effort that goes into preparing. And guess what? Many people who climb Mount Everest don't make it and they die. You see, there is 
arduous effort that's going to come just to start the climb, even though it was free for you to go. It was free for you to go. But you're not just going to wake up out of your bed Sunday morning and go, I'm going to climb today. you got to work Prepare. You gotta. St- it's going to cost you something. That's what Jesus is saying. It's free. You got it. But you kind of have to do something now, not to earn it because you've already gotten it. But you're going to have to prove that, guess what? You understand what you have just committed yourself to. You have made a commitment because, guess what? You could have refused it. Jesus freely gives us the gift of eternal life to everyone who accepts it. But we need to understand that when we receive this free gift, we are no longer our own. We have been bought with a price. Thus, to truly follow Jesus, we must consider the cost and not begin to follow him superficially only to turn back later on when things get tough. If this is what you do, then you cannot be his disciple. For this kind of person or attitude is what Jesus is getting at in our text. Let me be clear. Discipleship is not about you giving up something to follow Jesus. Discipleship is not about you giving up something to follow Jesus. Discipleship is about your willingness to give up everything To die for Jesus. (laughs) Y'all heard me. It's not about giving up something to follow Jesus. If that's what you think, then you're not going to want to do it. I don't want to give up my house or my car. I don't. I don't. I'm being honest. I do not. But if it's required, I will. But I don't want to. But is there a willingness in my heart to die for the cause of Christ? Yeah, there is. And so... I believe that I can be a disciple of Jesus. I have to work at it. I have to learn as I grow and go. But am I willing? Yes, I am. When I first read the text, I was stuck on the beginning of verse 25, which is crucial to understand in the passage. It said, now large crowds were going along with him. That's what it says. Now large crowds were going along with him. Many pastors, me included, would love to have that kind of congregation. (laughs) Every ministry desires more followers, right? We want to see the pews packed. We want to see that. I'm being honest. Pastors with large congregations usually get their books published. They're invited to speak all over the world because they're seen as successful by the world's standards. And you know our society measures things by numbers. But Jesus was different. Jesus had this large crowd of people in front of him, and they're all following Jesus. And Jesus is not teaching or preaching to keep the crowd. You understand what I'm saying? He ain't trying to just tell people what they want to hear so that they keep coming and filling the pews, even though we love the pews packed. So you're not going to find in this church a pastor who's going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. Now, if you choose that what I'm telling you is not comfortable and it makes you squirm in your seat, then it's likely you're in the right place. Because far too many of us want our ears tickled. And we want to hear messages that make us feel good. And then we leave the same way we came in. What did I say the vision of this church was? We are conforming to Christ 
to transform the world. Which means that you come here, you must be different when you leave. For if you aren't the same when you leave, then we are not doing anything in here. So attracting large crowds was not Jesus' aim. Large crowds were merely a byproduct of Jesus' authentic ministry. Most of the people in that crowd wanted Jesus. Why? Because of something they could get from him. Jesus, my son is sick. Can you heal him? Jesus, I'm struggling with this issue. Jesus, I'm struggling. I want a piece of Jesus. Don't care too much about what Jesus is saying. But I really, really like the fact that he could lay hands on my loved one and they be made whole. I really like the fact that I could have an issue of blood and I could just touch the hem of his garment. And I can be made whole and clean. I don't really want to care for the message. But I do care for what Jesus can do for me. Are you hearing what I'm saying, church? So Jesus looked at this large crowd that the text says were going along with him. And Jesus now talks to them in a way that he wants to weed out the ones who cannot be his disciples. Can you imagine that? It's like me telling you, okay, we've got a few people here in the church. Some of you, I'm glad you're here, but you're not going with us. You can't, you're not a part of this. You, you, I mean, you're going to be offended. So Jesus had no problem offending people who are not with him. Because the truth about Jesus is simply this. He'd rather have 12 that are with him than 100 that's not. Because he changed the world with 12. He did not change the world with the thousands and the multitudes and the mega churches. So I tell all those people, watch out for these little churches. These little churches on every little corner that's preaching the gospel. Because sometimes you, and again, I'm not knocking the big ministries. I'm simply saying, you get what you came for. I'm just saying. So Jesus gives a first condition, and I'll hurry along. This is the first thing he tells them. The same crowd, all of them out there. And some of them probably had deep pockets too. So Jesus could have been like, listen, foxes have holes and I have nowhere to rest my head, but with this crowd, I could probably get a Bentley. Jesus didn't care about what you had because what he was telling you is whatever you had, give it up. Don't give me your tithes and your offerings. Give that to the church and the ministry, but give me your heart. For that's the only thing that, I'm at that matters to me. I'm telling you the truth, church. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're mad at me, but I'm just like, I asked God to help me preach his message. I ain't know I was going to do it like this. Jesus says, you must first, to be his disciple, hate your family and yourself. No, Jesus. I do not hate my wife. I do not hate my mother. I do not hate my parents-in-law. I do not hate my children. I do not hate them, Jesus. Why are you telling me to hate my family? It's in the text. Look, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's what it says in the text. I'm not making this up, church. And I'm telling you, as the pastor in his pulpit, that's a hard pill to swallow for me. How can I hate my family and hate myself? Didn't Jesus, wasn't Jesus the same one who said, even as Reverend Nefty read it earlier, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and and our neighbor as ourselves? Did she not say that? So how are you telling me on the one hand to love my neighbor as myself, and now you're telling me that if I don't hate all of my neighbor, well, not even my neighbor, my family, and myself, I can't be your disciple. Jesus, what are you doing here? I, I, are you as curious as I am? Yeah. 
Jesus is giving us this shock value for a reason. Because he wants to get us to stop and to think about the stringent demand that he is making. What he's saying is to follow me is costly. And it is so costly that you cannot compare. He couldn't figure out anything else. He could have, but he didn't have any other way to make us understand just how costly this is. So he used the most extreme of cases. So in other words, if you love Jesus, you have to love Jesus so much that when you look at how you love him, it looks like you hate everybody else. Doesn't mean you do. It just means it looks that way. Because if I'm willing to give up my very children, my family, my life, even myself for the love of God, if I'm willing to do that, how much more will I be serving the master? Do you see what is, what is happening here? People read it and they miss Jesus' point. He's not telling me to, 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 to hate my father-in-law, Addison. He ain't telling me to hate him. I love him. Love him to death, no pun intended. <laughs> but you get my point. There is nothing I won't do for my wife. Absolutely nothing I will not do for my wife. Cut off my right hand, my left hand, whatever. I have absolutely no problem doing it. But it's not that I'm going to be required to do it. It simply means that I have the willingness. God is after the willingness because your willingness will always point to the condition of your heart. I hope somebody's getting this. So, so that's the first parable. The second thing Jesus says is you must what? Carry your own cross. I have a cross. Can you see me walking down Franklin Avenue with a big old cross on my back? Well, Jesus said to carry my cross. Where are you carrying it to? And where did you even first, where did you even get it? <laughs> carry your own cross. It's not literal. Right? Jesus says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The cross was, the cross represented an instrument of irritation, inconvenience, but also slow, torturous death. That's what the cross represented. A slow, painful, torturous death. Jesus is looking at the process of daily dying to your own selfish desires and the willingness to bear reproach for his namesake. Jesus is clear. How many of you know that sometimes as a Christian, for those who are, when sometimes people say to you, you're a Christian, you sometimes act like you're not. Nah, I'm not like them. Ah. You do all of that because there's a part of you that is ashamed. And I, and I think about that often. Why is it that sometimes we're ashamed to let people know that we are followers of Jesus Christ? You know why I think we're sometimes ashamed? Because of the reputation of Christians. Sometimes we see people who call themselves Christians do everything that doesn't look anything like a Christian. Don't look, no, listen, don't even look like Jesus in no way. Christians can be sometimes the most mean-spirited people you could ever meet. You could walk into any church, and this church is not exempt, where somebody on a given morning, for whatever reason, rolled off the bed on the wrong side. And they come in huffy and <clears throat> mad. And you come in as a visitor, a new time visitor, thinking you're going to get a nice word and a good environment, and you're felt met, met, met with something unchristian like, and you just turn and walk right back out. I'm telling you the truth. 
we do a poor job of making people feel welcome and making people feel loved. And it's hard to tell people that you're one of them. The third and last thing is, after Jesus tells the two parables, he says you must give up all of your possessions. Remember verse 33. None of you can be my disciple who does not give up his own possessions. Jesus didn't mean this literally. Well, I've already talked about that. But you can't serve God and money. So I want to give you another illustration of what Jesus is talking about here when he says, give up all of your possessions. And I hope you all are getting something out of this. There's an example of a man that sees a pearl being sold by a merchant. And the man loves the pearl. He wants it. It's beautiful. And he goes up to the merchant and he says, he says to him, how much is it? And the seller says, well, it's very, very expensive. The man says, how much? Well, it's a lot. It's a lot. He says, well, do you think I could buy it? Absolutely. Really? Then he says, if any, the man says, anybody can buy it. But I thought you said it was expensive. It is. But anybody can buy it? Yeah, anybody can buy it. He says, okay, how much is it? Yeah, everything you have. So the man says, all right, I'll buy it. Say, okay, what do you have? He says, well, I have $10,000 in the bank. Good. What else? Well, that's all I have. He says, you have nothing else? Well, I've got a few $100 in my pocket. I'll take that. Give it to me. That's it? That's all you have? He says, well, what else do you have? He says, that's all I've got. He goes, where do you live? Well, I live in a house. You have a house? I'll take that. Well, if you take my house, then where do you expect me to sleep? In my camper? Oh, you got a camper. <laughs> Give me that too. And he goes, well, where do you want me to sleep? In my car? I got two cars. You got two cars? Give me that too. Well, you take my money, you take my house, you take my camper, you take my cars. Where's my family going to sleep? You got a family? I'll take that too. Yeah, I got a wife and three kids. You bring them on. They're mine now. Suddenly, the seller exclaims, oh, I almost forgot. I need you too. Because everything becomes mine. Your wife, your children, your house, your car, your camper, everything becomes mine. And you too. Now listen, the seller says to him after all of that. Now listen carefully. I'm going to allow you to use all these things for the time being. But when I'm ready for them, you must surrender them to me. But you can enjoy them. Your house, your car, your campers, all of that. Your family. You can use them for the time being. But at the right time, when I'm ready for all of them, you have to surrender them to me because I am the owner. And for all of, all of that, you can have this pearl of great price. Brothers and sisters, the story that I just told you is an example of what your salvation is. The pearl of great price, the thing that keeps on giving that you can never lose its value is your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you are not willing to give up everything, listen, God does not take things from people. Whatever you hear, well, God told me that you should bring $75.65 to the altar. God don't work like that. Trust me when I tell you that. God didn't tell me anything he didn't tell you already. 
So anything I'm telling you from the pulpit must agree with something you already know in your spirit. And so the point of the matter is, is simply this. Is the pearl of great price worth all costs? Cost it what it will. Is the salvation that you seek from Jesus Christ and the gift of eternal life worth everything? Because guess what? The day will come when every single one of us must give an account for what it is that we did. God, Jesus says, hate your family and yourself. Carry your own cross. But he says, consider the cost. Because the moment you step over the line, the moment you decide you're going to climb Mount Everest, it is going to cost you something. And if you are not willing to give it, then you should not have taken the gift in the first place. We get people into our churches and we preach messages and we at the right time, I'll, 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 I'll inspire you with a charismatic word. And then the musicians will be ready with the song, the right song that will touch your heart. And you just feel the love of God and you're just so emotional. You stand up and you say, yes, Lord. And you give your heart to the Lord. And we wonder if it was really genuine or not. Or did you just happen to feel good in the moment? The cost of discipleship is not about feeling good. It's about being good. Not how you feel, not even what you do, but who you are and who you have become. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away and all things have become new. If you have not been transformed in the way that you think, in the way that you move, in the way that you love, in the way that you care, in the way that you go about life, then I'm telling you, the likelihood that you are his disciple is minimal. Doesn't mean you're not on, on your way, but consider the cost. And as I always like to say, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Finally, Jesus uses in this parable, and read it, salt. And he says, if the salt has lost its savor, it is good for nothing. In other words, if you are no longer making an impact on the lives of other people because of your walk with God, then you're just like salt that's only good to trample underfoot. Jesus is saying, you're worthless to me. You, you, if you're not positively impacting other people's life for the ministry and the kingdom of God, then Jesus is kind of saying, I really don't have much use for you. But we thank God that as many times as we may have fallen short of his glory, is as many times as Jesus will make up the difference. And I love that about Jesus. So every believer ought to pursue discipleship. To believe in Jesus Christ as Savior means following him as Lord. Salvation is not just a decision that a person makes, but it is the mighty power of God in raising a dead soul into eternal life. That's what he promises, and that's the pearl of great price, and it is worth everything. It is worth everything that you have. Everything that you have is worth getting it because there are people, believe me, church, when I tell you as I close, there are people that's going to stand before the mighty judgment throne, 
And they're going to say, Lord, look how many people we fed in your name. Look how we took care of families in Mount Vernon. Look how we went to Guatemala and brought all these supplies and these things that we do. Lord, Lord, look at all the wonderful things we did for you. And then you hear these most dreadful words. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. And in the words of the Apostle Paul when he says, They profess to know God. But by their deeds, they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Thus, it is possible to follow Christ superficially. And to such followers in the crowd, Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. Salvation is absolutely free. But once you receive it, it costs you everything. And to truly follow Jesus Christ, we must consider the cost and put him above everything else. Cost it what it will. May the Lord richly, richly bless you my beloved.